0: You're up to two sixty-three second paragraph. Exactly. Yes. Thank you, Shiri. So once again, what we're talking about over here is what the true meaning of reform would look like if Judaism was reformed properly, right? And and as we mentioned in the past, that the prophets were the original reformers, right? Prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah. All of these prophets, they were actually coming to reform the Jewish people from their behavior, but they were reforming them back to the source, right? Reforming them back to to a Judaism that is an informed and spiritually vibrant life. Originally, only the fundamentals of Yisrael's teachings were recorded in writing as Torah Sav, the written law. Their broader applications, however, and above all, their spirit and inner life were to be perpetuated by the living word. Torah Shabbal Peh, the oral law. When we call it the living word, the implication is because this has the ability to become—it's not immutable. Whereas the written Torah is completely immutable; nothing will ever change about the written Torah. But in terms of the oral Torah, there is an allowance for the human mind to have a role to play in the original set of Luchot, in the first set of the tablets. So there was actually no role given over, left behind for a human to do. Everything was going to be contained in the first set of the tablets, in the first iteration of what the Torah would have looked like. It would have been, everything would have been written Torah and none of it would have been oral and the human component would have been missing. But in the second iteration, we then were given this ability to interpret and to explain. And that ability is actually what renders it living organism. Um, On my on my um, my Microsoft computer, so they have those pictures sometimes, right? And the picture that was on right before I opened up, you know, to the Zoom meeting was a picture of the largest living organism. The largest living organism in the world is the Great Barrier Reef, right? It all depends on how you define what's the definition of living, right? It's the ability to adapt, right? It, it's an animate object to some extent. Well, the Torah Shabalpeh has the ability to adapt. It is a living Torah. But the burdens of, our, of the times and our dispersion threatened the survival of our teachings. And so the Mishnah was recorded in writing, leaving the underlying ideas, the spirit, to oral transmission. Again, pressure of the times made it necessary to commit more to writing. The spirit of the Mishnah was recorded in the Talmud, but only in its practical expression. The Talmud spirit remained reserved for oral transmission. Pressure of the times demanded more. The underlying ideas of the Tanakh and the Talmud were recorded in the Agados, but again, in a veiled form. Requiring of the student an active effort on his part in order to grasp the inner spirit, which really can be passed down only by word of mouth. So let let me give a little bit of more explanation of what's going on over here. For those of you who have studied Talmud, so Talmud consists of two different parts. It consists of the, the Gemara consists of two different parts. It consists of the Mishnah and then the Talmud, right? The Gemara. Now the actual Mishnah is more, Uh, cut and dry so there's not that much discussion of the underlying reasoning it's more this is what one rabbi said the law was regarding this question this is what another rabbi said the law was regarding this question there's not a dialectic it's not a back and forth at all this is what he said this is what he said done the gemara then comes along and gives us more information it actually gives us the reasoning behind it it gives us the source text for so many of the laws so in other words When they first had to write something down, they kept it as succinct as possible what they were going to write down and wanted everything else to be conveyed orally because the main, the main method of transmission was always meant to be oral. I mentioned today to a group of people I was learning with that if we would have gone over to Yahushua ben Nun, the Joshua, right, The, the first, the first prophet after Moshe and the leader of the Jewish people. If we would have gone over to him in that generation after Moshe dies as we're conquering the land of Israel, and went over to him and said, uh, what's the halacha on Shabbos about taking the good from the bad when it comes to separating, right? And that's probably not the best example, actually, because that there's no, there isn't really a source in the Torah for the, the laws of Shabbos, specific laws of Shabbos. But let's say uh, something regarding what an esrog is supposed to look like, right? You know, what, what fruit is the esrog? The Torah doesn't say esrog. The Torah says you should take for yourselves the pre-eitz hadar, right? The fruit of the beautiful tree, right? So if we would have asked him, what is the fruit species that we're supposed to be taking on Sukkot? He would say the asrog. And if we would say to him, how do you divine that from the words in the written Torah? He would say, I don't need to divine that from the words in the written Torah. I know what the law is because Moshe taught me the law. And Moshe knew what the law is because he found it out from Hashem. So in terms of informing a practical lifestyle as observant Jewish people, we would not have had to open up the written Torah at all. The written Torah would have not informed us at all of anything. It all would have been conveyed through the oral Torah. After some time when the transmission was becoming a little bit garbled, then we needed to actually have to be able to source it in the written Torah. So then we have to start looking at the written Torah for the sources behind the oral tradition because otherwise we would have lost track of the oral tradition. And so what happens is they start writing down the, they write down parts and then other parts of the oral tradition, starting with the Mishnah, but that does not convey the spirit that is really part and parcel of Judaism. It only is the dry practical observance. That was not sufficient, so then they start writing down the Gemara. But at first in the Gemara, we also would only give over the reasoning behind the disputes and the proofs back and forth about the disputes. But once again, in terms of the actual spirit, the spiritual vitality that the Jewish life is supposed to look like, that would not have been conveyed Yet that would still have been reserved for the oral tradition because something as important as that cannot be relegated to writing where it loses so much of the richness of what it really contains. And only after that, where they saw that even that transmission was becoming garbled, they had to start writing the Agadot. The Agadot are the parts of the Talmud where these fantastical fables, which are a message, the very clearly veiled message of far deeper stories that these sages are trying to give over to us. And with these hints to it, and to certain students who would be worthy of it, the teachers would actually teach them the underlying reasoning of these messages as well. So that's something which is, is uh, it ha- can really only be given over in an oral tradition. Rabbi Salveitchik, right, the, the dean of, um, of Yeshiva University, right, the w- wonderfully uh, eloquent, very, very observant, Salvechik, you know, a sign of the Salvechik family, but also um, very, very well spoken and and a beautiful, beautiful writer. So he always used to say that he learned the practical law of Shabbos from his father. You know, what the law is, when you're allowed to do this, when you're not allowed to do this, and so on and so forth, that he learned from his father. But the spirit of what it means to truly observe Shabbos that he learned from his mother, not from his father. That was something which he felt he could only get from his mother. That's not something which is going to be spoken out, right? It's not something which is gonna be written down. It's a lived experience. It's something that can be given over from one generation to the next, but only in a practical experiential way. So initially, the spirit of the Torah was never meant to be written down. It was impossible. You can't write it down. It has to be conveyed orally. It has to be conveyed through a living experience. But as time goes by and it becomes further and further away from the original source, it becomes more and more necessary to actually start writing down things that really were never meant to be written down. The Torah teachings and their spirit took refuge in two academies. These two academies are the academies in Bavel in Persia. Uh, not really Persia, more like uh, Iraq, I guess. This is Sura and Pompadisa. This is going back about 1300 years ago or so, maybe 1400 years ago. But these eventually were undermined, destroyed by jealous passions and errors of thought. The Torah went into exile. The letter of the law and its outward practical fulfillment were salvaged. But its spirit fled, only leaving behind the letters, symbols in which the spirit was concealed. From these letters and symbols, which served as hiding places, as well as from whatever had been salvaged by some individuals, the spirit of the Torah had to be recovered. Some unique personalities excelled brilliantly at this endeavor, okay? So what we're trying to get at here, and this is something that was worth the price of admission for, the, for, this, for these paragraphs alone, is exactly what happened to a religion that was always supposed to be a dynamic, vibrant, spiritually uplifting religion. And as we mentioned in the previous letter, what the reformed community had seen, they had seen that there was something lacking in the observance of the German Jews at that time. And they were looking for something more. They took it the wrong way because they were using their own intuition without trying to follow and go back to the source. But what they were recognizing is there was something missing. This spirituality, the component of the Torah that is joyful, emotional, had been taken out. Now in Eastern Europe, we had the Hasidim. The Hasidim at this point have already also restored that spirituality and and the vibrancy right to to judaism at this time but the german jews were not at all and if anybody has ever met a authentic german jew you understand why they don't have too much of a connection with hasidism right so they did not have that connection but reverse is saying is we are lacking something there is a spiritual component that is undeniably lacking in today's day and age and it's explaining what happened to it where did it go wrong where did it leave us Now, the solution, once again, is not going to be to turn to the reform movement, but as we will see, it will be in a rededicated, redoubled efforts to restore the beauty and the wisdom and the spiritual component of Torah observance. Okay, take care, everyone. Be well. Have a good night. Rabbi.